Listener production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Now, do you constantly underestimate how much time something takes? Do you agree to things, put them in the calendar only to get closer and regret it? Or does trying to delineate between work and life leave you really confused? Well, you're not alone on any of that stuff. And in this episode, you're going to meet someone who's compiled all the secrets of successful people on time management. Most of us are consuming and having inputs go into our brain literally for every hour that we're awake. It's quite unusual now that we find ourselves just silent with our own thoughts. And that's where the best ideas can come. So it's a really interesting conversation with Amantha Imber. She's an organisational psychologist and author of a great new book called TimeWise. That is our briefing. First, Rihanna Patrick has shooed her cats out of her home studio to join us for the headlines. Hello, Rihanna. Hi. Those cats behaving themselves today? Barely. (laughs) Barely. There's one that is definitely in this room right now. Silent, thankfully. All right, here are the headlines. It's Friday, August 12th. A national tragedy, that's how the Royal Commission into Defence and Veterans Suicide has described the despair faced by our returned soldiers when it handed down its interim report yesterday. If there have been failings in the way in which defence has operated and failings in the way in which the Department of Veterans Affairs has operated, I'm deeply sorry about that. If there have been failings, I mean, it's clear there have been lots of them. Minister for Veterans Affairs, Matt Keogh there. So 13 recommendations have been made, including ending the backlog for veterans' compensation claims, simplifying compensation laws and protection for witnesses. Um, 42,000 compensation claims are still waiting to be processed. The government is promising 500 extra staff to sort them out by 2024. Yeah, and I guess that's been the thing, hasn't it, Tom, is that it's been found that servicemen and women are struggling with bureaucracy and mm. that lack of support after being discharged. And, and obviously a reminder, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. And for specific veterans support, you can call Open Arms on 1800 011046. And the public display of Nazi symbols has been banned in New South Wales. A new law has been passed by the state parliament overnight. Anyone caught breaking it could be sent to jail for up to a year or fined $11,000. Yeah, the New South Wales Multiculturalism Minister is describing it as a victory and a similar law was passed in Victoria in June. Yeah, the Executive Council of Australian Jury is seeing a 35% increase in anti-Semitic activity in Australia according to its annual report released last year. And Jewish groups have recorded more than 400 anti-Semitic incidents across Australia between 2020 and 2021. So... This is seen as a step to, I guess, push back on some of those horrific attitudes and behaviours. And it's interesting to see two states have brought in these laws now banning Nazi symbols. I would imagine the other states will probably follow. Yeah, and I I guess this is also one too. I mean, there's a section in this bill which does allow for the swatch sticker symbol to be used in academia academia, historical and educational settings, but it also allows its display by Buddhists and Hindus. You know, there's a religious significance to it for them. And an Australian academic locked up in Myanmar since last February has finally got his chance to testify in court. Yeah, Sean Turnell was an economist at Sydney's Macquarie University and advising former leader Aung San Suu Kyi when her government was ousted during a military takeover. Yeah, so he was then arrested five days later and has been in prison ever since. Um, His family are obviously keen for him to be 
brought home, but it just goes on and on and on. He was charged with violating the country's official secrets law. He's pleaded not guilty. So it sounds like there is some kind of justice in inverted commas process happening that he's now a part of, but it's taking such a long time. And I guess there's serious doubts over the integrity of that process. And I actually knew this guy. He he was a, a lecturer at my university. I was studying economics when he was there at Macquarie University. So it's a devastating story. And the rugby league world is mourning for the loss of Paul Green, who died by suicide aged 49. His family issued a statement saying they're devastated and the NRL has lauded him as a legendary player and coach. Here's what former Cowboys captain Michael Morgan had to say about him. Uh, They won a premiership together in 2015. He was very personal with people around town. He'd always give people the time of day. And I think that's what drew people to him when he was the coach here, that he wasn't above the public or the fans, the members. He was part of the club like everyone else. He made, I guess, a welcoming place. And the success the club had under him, it's no coincidence that he was the leader of it all. Yeah, very sad story. And just a reminder, um, if that story brought up any issues for you, you can call Lifeline right now on 13 11 14. Thank you very much, Rihanna. We'll catch you uh, next week in just a moment. We're talking about how to get the most out of your time. All right, so the next 12 minutes will hopefully save you hours of your life. Dr. Amantha Imba is an organizational psychologist. She speaks to loads of successful, productive people on her podcast, How I Work, and she's written a book called Timewise. Amantha, tell us about one person who's really impressed you recently with the way they work and get the most out of their time. Well, someone that I've had on my podcast a couple of times on how I work is Adam Grant. And for those not familiar with him, he's an organizational psychologist from Wharton Business School. And he's also the host of Work Life, which is quite a popular podcast about work. And something that Adam recommended to me the last time that we spoke is he talks about the idea that most people will go to the doctors or the dentist maybe once or twice a year for a general checkup for your health. And that's a pretty normal thing to do. But what he found is that he was having these students that would contact him several years after they'd done the MBA program at Wharton and they will have been several years into a career that they're just not finding fulfilling. But when you've sunk several years into something, you kind of feel like you should keep going. And Adam recommends, and he gives this advice to students and also he takes it himself, is to do a life checkup. So a couple of times a year, every six months, he recommends that they, and also he does this to sit down and ask themselves, how happy am I in my life and specifically at work, in my career? Is this a culture that I thrive in? Is this a job that I get excited about Mondays for? And reflecting and deliberately taking a step back. It's something that most people don't do, but it's something that he recommends and that really stuck with me. Okay. So Adam Grant talks about work and life. And in your book, you write that the work-life balance is a flawed concept. Explain what you mean by that. So this comes from Marcus Buckingham, who is a global expert on employee engagement. And he really hates the concept of work-life balance. It implies that work is this bad thing and that life is this good thing and that we need to somehow 
do more life and less work. And just that idea is really flawed. Ideally, we should be striving to find work, as I said, that is meaningful and isn't this bad evil that we need to reduce in our lives, but also work and particularly more so since the pandemic is so integrated into our lives. A lot of people work from home now, so their work is in their life. So instead, a term that I prefer is work-life integration. You know, how well are you integrating work and the non-work aspects of your life together. Like at Inventium, the the consultancy that I founded, we've been running the four-day week for the last two years where none of the team work Fridays. And it's deliberately to help us have a bit more integration between what we do outside of our work because your life shouldn't be all about your work. Yeah, so you write some interesting stories about how people look at what to tank on and and how to choose their tasks widely. Um, a couple of them are this idea of an iceberg principle where we often only see the, the tip of the iceberg and underestimate how much work is involved. The other is that when we, we look at events that are coming up in the future, they sound good, but you're better off thinking about what you'd feel like if you were doing them on next Tuesday as a way of understanding them. So tell us more about some of the misconceptions we have when working out what we should and and shouldn't take on. I think the next Tuesday rule is super helpful. If you're being asked to do something in the far off distant future, and I originally got this tip from Turia Pitt when I interviewed her on how I work, and she says, like, when she's asked to do something in six months' time, her diary doesn't look that bad. Like, none of our diaries look super busy in six months' time, so it's really easy to say yes. But when six months rolls around and your diary is looking crazy busy, as most of our diaries probably are for the next week or two, you can kind of feel resentful about having said yes to that opportunity. So a really good litmus test to see, "Mm, should I really say yes to this, is to ask yourself, how would I feel if this thing that I'm being asked to do, like this conference I'm being asked to attend, or this event or party that I'm being asked to go to, or something I'm being asked to speak at, for example, how would I feel if it were happening next Tuesday? And if it's anything yes, then a hell yeah, I'd feel great, then maybe think about declining it. So with wireless earbuds and every bit of music you ever wanted to listen to available at, you know, the touch of a touchscreen on Spotify, I guess it's easier more so than ever to listen to a lot of music when you work. But lots of people feel very differently about this. Some people even just listen to white noise or the the sound of rain. What's your advice when it comes to working with music? I've spoken to a few guests on how I work about this because I found that some people, and and particularly some quite high-profile entrepreneurs, often work with music. So, for example, Kevin Kelly is the co-founder of Wired Magazine um, and, and quite an icon in tech circles. And something that he does to get into the zone, particularly when he's doing writing work, is he will listen to a particular track just on repeat. From memory, it's kind of like a Gregorian monk chant kind of thing that um, it doesn't have distracting lyrics, but he hears that song and it's almost like this Pavlovian response happens where he just gets into a deep zone of focus. Look, for some people, this absolutely doesn't work, but it might be something to give a go. Pick a song that 
doesn't have distracting lyrics and can kind of sit comfortably in the background and has the the right kind of mood or ambience that you're trying to create and simply put it on repeat while you're trying to do a focused work and it might help you get into flow more quickly. Conversely to that though, you also write about the benefits of solitude, like blocking out any impetus, including things we might listen to. Why is it important to leave that space and and what happens in our brains when we do and when we don't? This comes from Professor Callan Newport, who's written several best-selling books, one of which was Digital Minimalism. And he's talked about how hard it can be to, to really stay focused and do focused work in this world of digital distraction. And in Digital Minimalism, he talks about the fact that most of us are consuming and having inputs go into our brain literally for every hour that we're awake. It's quite unusual now that we find ourselves just silent with our own thoughts as opposed to listening to music or a podcast or something going into our brain like social media. And he recommends trying to bring back some solitude into our lives, time where we are just with our own thoughts and we can, God forbid, be bored. I remember when I spoke to to Cal on how I work, I was doing an experiment around this inspired by his work where I'd figured out that the the main time, so I, I listen to podcasts a lot as I'm, as I'm sure you do as well. I feel like podcast hosts <laughs> tend to do that. And I estimated that I was listening to about five hours worth of podcasts when I was exercising and then about another five hours worth on my commute to the office in the city. Wow. And I thought, I'm going to cut that time in half. So I'm going to have five hours a week where I'm just not having any inputs going into my ears or into my brain. And so I would sit on the train on the way into the city, just doing nothing and just looking around. And my gosh, when I did that, when I kind of unhooked myself, if you like, I just found that creativity and ideas and really useful thoughts started to Mm. flow. It was quite overwhelming just to be with my own thoughts and really present in the environment that I was in. I got the sense reading your book that it, it is really trying to adapt a lot of old ideas for the new working environment, so much of the way we work has changed and it's less about FaceTime and more about real output. And I guess some of these trends in the way we work were accelerated by the pandemic and you wrote the book during the pandemic. How different do you think this book would have been if you wrote it two years earlier? So these are all universal themes um, that pandemic or no pandemic, Mm. they're important things to work on getting better at in our lives, you know, if if we are trying to grow and get better in some way. But certainly I think the pandemic has made things more challenging. I think that digital distractions were bad before the pandemic, but when you've spent lots of days in lockdown, you've probably become even more attached to digital distractions because they were one of the ways mm. that a lot of us kind of got through. And so, look, in the book, I've tried to collect A lot of the the sort of less talked about or quirkier strategies that I've heard from guests on how I work, like, you know, on the topic of digital distractions, one of the one of the strategies that I write about in TimeWise comes from Kevin Rose, who uh, is a very successful venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, was an early investor in companies like Facebook and Twitter. And something that he did to reduce the amount of time that he picked up his phone was he tied a rubber band around it. 
I'd never heard that strategy before and I tried it immediately after I'd spoke to Kevin. And what it does is it just puts this very simple but annoying barrier in the way because we so mindlessly pick up our phone, generally for the average person, a couple of hundred times a day to check it. But if there's a rubber band there right in the middle, you have to be more mindful. You have to go, do I really want to check this phone enough that I'm going to remove the rubber band so that I can unlock the screen and then get into my phone? I know Kevin found that strategy very useful. He went from 100 pickups a day of his phone to just 30 pickups per day after putting a rubber band around it. Yeah, it's a great idea and it's just a classic example of a little check on our subconscious behaviours, which most of the time go unnoticed. It's um, one of many great ideas in your book, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about it. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Amantha Imba and her book is called Time Wise. And it made me think of another really important book in this space, which I would also recommend, which is called Indistractable. And I learned lots of, I guess, tactics in Amantha's book, but underneath it, Indistractable is kind of my underlying thesis for productivity. The basic idea is the more you can clearly define what traction is, that is the things you want to be doing, the more conscious you can be about when you're getting distracted from that traction. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Tomorrow in your feed will be the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi, and she's going to be speaking to Indira Nadu, who is a really fascinating Aussie author, television and radio journalist. She's had a really colourful life, lots of amazing travel stories, also a heartbreaking story of losing her younger sister. So it's a story about grief, um, the healing powers of nature and an incredible life. So that'll be a fascinating one. Um, A big thank you to the hardworking briefing team, executive producer Dan Mullins, producer Eleanor Harrison-Dengay, Brooke Lowther, uh, Matt Curry, the best editor in the world, and our socials team, Poppy Manzi and Sarah Boll. Have a great weekend. I'll speak to you Monday. Listener.